0: What's up everyone and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is September tenth, twenty twenty-two. Phil, it's very weird recording on a Friday night. This is coming out on Saturday, but we have the Buffalo Bills to thank for it. And at least, at least we have a fun week one game to talk about rather than last year where they put up the dud and got a punt locked versus the Pittsburgh Steelers.
1: Yeah, it's uh it was a very exhausting week. It was a very long week for me and having to record on Friday night's very strange. And normally these are our nights to kind of relax and unwind from the week and get ready for the weekend. But like you said, thanks to the Bills, we are here. But thanks to the Bills, we are excited to be here. I'm also
0: still a little wired from last night because once that second half hit, actually it even started in the first drive and then it kind of hit a lull in the second quarter, which we'll get into, but the whole second half was just how could anybody fall asleep after that game? It was it's one of those reasons why I love the one o'clock games because then you get to just enjoy your wiriness the rest of the game or the rest of the day. But on a Thursday, you got to go to sleep and wake up the next morning and go to work. So this is why I hate, you know, primetime games because they stink and they're too late. And then you can't enjoy the enjoyment that you just had.
1: And speaking of primetime and speaking of just how great the Bills were yesterday, right after that game, and even today, I was kind of telling you, like, I wish the Bills had a game tonight for the exact thing reason like you're kind of feeling that wired up like i just want to see him back on the field i want to see him playing again like let's go and we have to wait thursday all the way until monday so it's not even like a thursday to sunday it's not a sunday to sunday this is the longest wait time you could possibly have for your next game and we just get it right away so all this excitement all this energy and they're like ah put that all on pause because you're gonna be waiting a long time for the next game and it's another primetime game on the day that we release our episode.
0: So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. We should have looked into this before uh, you know, we picked our days to release our episodes. But if you want to follow along with us on our journey to adjust our schedule for the Buffalo Bills, you can follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Code. Don't forget to... Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. I think you also have to follow now or add us or whatever the heck it is now instead of just subscribe, subscribe but do whatever you got to do to follow us. Check out our website at com and check for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. So, Phil, obviously we're going to start with the Bills, but before we dive into the game, typical Brandon Bean move. They wait till the last minute. Right before the season kicks off to make a huge deal, Dawson Knox, four-year deal, $13.4 million annual average value, makes him the sixth highest tight end. Phil, we were wondering which guy was going to get the next big bag of money. We were wondering, was it going to be Edmonds? Is it going to be a rare signing for Singletary? Is it going to be Jordan Poyer? It ends up being Dawson Knox, who I believe both of us had at the top of our list to want to get re-signed. And I love this. I think it's a rare move from Brandon Bean signing a guy before he actually proves he's earned that money, where a lot of other players kind of has taken a, a, you know, a discount to stay here. Matt Milano, you had even Daryl Williams and John Feliciano before, you know, those deals paid off and I'm sorry, didn't pay off. You had Josh Allen, who is probably on a discount. Stefan Diggs, who's on a discount. You're kind of paying Dawson Knox for what you think he will be rather than what he's done for you.
1: But at the same time, you look, I mean, I know this isn't the greatest comparison because we're not the biggest fans of that franchise, but you look over to Njoku, who got a similar, slightly even higher deal, who has done virtually nothing to prove that he has earned that and nothing against the player. I know he's got a lot of potential. He's ran into some injuries. But at the same time, I feel like Knox has proved a lot more than Njoku has, and Njoku got the higher deal out of the two of them. And I think overall, to me, it also has a lot to deal with Josh Allen, obviously, this team runs around him. He's a humongous leader. And I think just the connection him and Knox have not only just on the field, but off the field, they seem just very, very close, very connected. I think the city of Buffalo is just, they love Knox. And again, we've talked about it a lot that it's not easy in today's day and age, especially playing fantasy football. We know how quickly the tight end world becomes a barren wasteland and that most of the 32 teams that are out there do not have a good starting tight end. I do think Knox is a good starting tight end. I think he is still going to have to grow a little bit, and we're still expecting him to take another leap, even though last year was quite the leap on top of what he was already doing in year two. So I think we're still expecting him to get better, still take that next step. I think this deal, like you said, is a little bit early in a way, but at the same time, I think it's hard to find really good tight ends nowadays, and I think you got one. you got one that works really well with your quarterback, and I think it's a great move for the Bills. Yeah, and I think you also
0: got to take him being the sixth highest tight end with a grain of salt right now because this is the names of the next group of tight ends that are going to be looking to get paid: Dallas Goddard, Mike Kosicki, Dalton Schultz, Kyle Pitts, Noah Fant, T.J. Hawkinson. All those guys come down the line, and they each one of them could be. I mean, that's typically what happens in the quarterback market. That's what happens in the wide receiver market. The next guys up set the 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 new limit for what you're going to get paid and with all those guys coming up i mean dawson knox come next offseason or come next year when the the season kicks off he could be what the ninth the tenth the eleventh highest paid tight end in the league where then that deal become if he does take the next step or even just repeats what he did last year that deal becomes a huge discount to it and then you're looking okay maybe he did take a discount but i think this this Is definitely I I can relate it to a Tage Thompson deal where you saw what he could be, you saw what he is developing into be, and you're expecting to him to take that next step or to continue on the track he's been on. And I think he can be. And I know, you know, after signing that big deal on Wednesday and then Thursday game comes up and he has what one for five on two targets. But I think that's an outlier. He's gonna have his games and move forward. And I mean, we can jump into the game now, which they won thirty one ten, but I think him having that small of a role yesterday, I think it was because he was on the line chipping Aaron Donald and, you know, the play design, I think, worked out to the favor of Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis and uh, even, you know, Zach Moss to the, the you know, six, re- six catches he had. But I think there will be games like this for Dawson Knox where he's just not involved in the passing game, but it's the other things that he adds to the game, like, you know, chip and Aaron Donald to give uh, Josh Allen more time in the pocket and, you know, blocking in the run game and all those kind of things. So I think down the line, this will be ending up being a deal. It's just, this might be the first time Brandon Bean has paid somebody for what they could be rather than what they are. But yeah, Phil, let's dive into the 31 to 10 victory Thursday night game. It was a 10-10 at halftime, and then the floodgates just opened. You knew it was time. Going into halftime, you were thinking, how the heck is this game tied right now? They went down, they kicked at, what was it, 56, 57 yards? 57? Yeah, yard field goal to tie at 10-10 right at halftime. But it definitely felt like a game where if Buffalo wasn't giving away turnovers over and over and over, that this game could have been a two-score game even at halftime.
1: Yeah, and the turnovers were also in not great spots for your offense and great spots for your defense where you're turning it over in deep in the Rams territory where the team was just marching everything was working, and all of a sudden you get a turnover and you know, it just kills that drive that likely could have ended in a touchdown. And the offense, once again, I mean, it's – I don't know. <laughs> there's so much to say about this team and how incredible they were, but I just – I don't know if you saw this coming from the offense. I did not see – quite this dominant of a performance coming overall. I mean, the offense, I guess we'll start there and just how incredible they were. Singletary looked unstoppable for the most part. He had just an incredible game when he was given the opportunity. Diggs looks like Diggs. I mean... The fact that they were able to roast Ramsey the entire time was very impressive. I love the chippiness. I love the edge. I love the trash talking. McKenzie had a good game after that interception that he knows he should have done better, but he came back with a touchdown. I think that's huge for his confidence moving forward. Gabe Davis already starting off his you know year three huge breakout campaign is on a great start. And even players like Crowder, who was injured most of the preseason, came up, didn't have a lot of time to play with Josh in the preseason or just even in practices, came out in this game, and he had a lot of really big catches and really important moments, and some of those weren't easy. So to see the way Dorsey was able to utilize so many different weapons, so many different looks, and just the way this offense looked, again, pretty much flawless for the most part against a very good Rams defense that has top, top, top top-tier talent on their defensive side, and they just looked like they were... Men amongst boys and just kind of running down everything. And the offensive line gave Allen plenty of time the whole time. They were able to keep Darnold pretty well contained. Allen knew that Darnold was coming at his face, so he was getting rid of the ball extremely quick, something we've never really seen from him. So to see this team in game one, I know we don't want to overact to game one, but to see Dorsey come out, call his first game, and have it look like this and have the offense just rolling. This incredibly well, and the only thing that really stopped them were turnovers. Once again, did not punt the entire game. I know you can say, Oh, well, they had turnovers, so maybe you would have punted there, but I mean, the Rams didn't force the Bills to punt once in any other drive, and I think that's just incredible. Yeah, they haven't had to punt
0: in four of the last six games, which is. I, I don't think anybody's actually looked up that stat yet, but it has to be an NFL record. There's no way any other team in NFL history has ever done that kind of thing. But just to touch, the, I think we all thought this offense is capable of doing what they did, but I don't think anybody saw coming out on Thursday night opening game of the NFL season that they would be so... almost perfect to a tee besides those turnovers I mean Allen was what 10 for 10 to start the game he ended up what let me pull this up he ended up uh 26 of 31 and two of those were interceptions one of them was not his fault so he had three incomplete passes which is insane to see how far this guy has come remember season one of him we were like okay uh, if it wasn't for his legs, what would this guy be to turn it around and be the player that he is right now? How are other teams going to be able to stop this offense, Phil? I mean, the Rams were like, okay, we're not going to give up any plays. So Allen just, you know, burned them with the short passing. And then they went, okay, we're going to cut this out. Then he burned him with his legs. And then they're like, okay, we got to cut this out. And then he burned him deep to Diggs and Davis. How are anything that you show Josh Allen, he's going to be able to overcome. It's just, it's unbelievable. Second half, he went nine for 11, 144 passing yards, 49 rushing yards. He had a perfect passer rating with three total touchdowns. He His average pass time, which I think was credit to Ken Dorsey, which was you know genius of him, that he, the, only way, the biggest way you can take Aaron Donald out of the game is to make him irrelevant. You can't get to him in time. 2.47 seconds per pass attempt. It's just ungodly number. Those are... Tom Brady-esque numbers and I know they said it in the 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 game Collinsworth and stuff we're saying he's like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning mixed in the way he's leading this offense he was only pressured a 9.1 percent of rate there's just so much good things to talk about this game that I don't know we're gonna be able to fit it all in but Aaron Cromer on that offensive line Ken Dorsey that whole offense it's just it's working to a T right now and again only one game in but it was played almost perfectly besides those
1: turnovers. And I guess if we're speaking of negatives on the offense, other than the turnovers, I know Cook, I'm not really worried about him. He's a rookie. He'll rebound. A, kind of a huge disappointment, I think, more to himself than any fan. Obviously, the fans, were are looking at a 31-10 game. We know we have Singletary. I don't think we're worried about Cook. But overall, just a, a bigger disappointment to him to come out in your first ever NFL touch, fumble the ball, and then not be able to get a chance to go back out there. I think it was a smart move by the coaching staff to not have him back out there. There's just no reason to rush him back in that situation. I mean, maybe toward the end of the game when it was getting kind of out of hand and the Bills had the ball, you could have given him another chance to just try to make up for that a little bit. But overall, I think he'll be fine throughout the season. He's a rookie. No one's really worried about that. But the confusing thing that has been something that's been kind of confusing all offseason and in previous years is Moss versus Singletary. I I don't understand. And I'm I'm not a I'm not someone who's against Moss. I really don't mind Moss. I understand that there's a need for a running back like him and what he does. But at the same time, Singletary showed you that he can be physical. He can mow down people. He can use that motor. He pretty much again, like we said in the offseason, he never really got pushed back toward the end of the season last year. And he started off that same way this year, that he just is not losing yards. No matter what, even if it's a blown-up play, he's going forward, and he just looked incredible. And for him versus Moss, his stats, 8 for 48, I believe it was about 6 yards. I think it's exactly 6 yards per carry. And Moss was 6 of 15 with an 8-yard long. And even Moss is catching 6 receptions for 21 yards. He's just... I don't understand why they favor Moss so heavily over Singletary when Singletary has done nothing but shown that he deserves a chance to be in the game.
0: That's what makes no sense to me either. It started off great. It was like, okay, this is the Devin Singletary show. And I think I, I think they said it on the morning show in WGR that it seems like Moss kind of took over what James Cook should have been, where James Cook only got three snaps the entire game. I mean, the fumble pretty much put him in the doghouse and you didn't see him again. And I thought the same thing was going to happen with McKenzie, which good thing it didn't because they ended up catching a touchdown. But I think because Zach Mosk had all six receptions, I think that was supposed to be the James Cook role. And it was kind of like, hey, James Cook, this is what you should have done. We're not putting you back out there because we can't trust you because you're going to fumble the ball away, which I mean, game one, I personally would have put him right back out there, give him some confidence and say, hey, you know. Stuff happens, don't fumble again, or you're pretty much out of the game. But that's obviously the coach's decision. That's why I'm behind a mic right now. But I think it it doesn't make any sense that if that's the idea that you're going to go with, that Moss is getting all the cook roll, why didn't Devin Singletary just get those numbers? He played, I think, 59% of the snaps why wasn't that number as high as it was to close the season when you saw what Devin Singletary can do, where he's rushing in touchdowns, mowing guys over? It doesn't make any sense why Zach Moss is still getting those roles when he's not being efficient. He's just, he's not a good running back right now. He went six rushes for 15 yards. He had six catches for 21 yards. That doesn't make it's it's insane right now the why he is getting so much touches and again it's game one james cook fumbled they kept him out of the game but it's just i zach moss had two less touches in the rushing game than devin singletary did and singletary was eight for 48 it doesn't make any sense what coaching decisions they were making and they can't even say it was because of ball security because zach moss ended up fumbling so it's (laughs) it's mind-boggling what is going on in the running back room right now
1: but we can shift over to the incredible yes. defense. I think that's honestly insane, even more impressive than anything the offense did. I know the offense put up 31, but there are four turnovers you're looking at. It, and I think without the defense, this game could have been a little bit closer. And every single time the offense turned it over, the defense got it right back on a turnover or just simply was able to shut the Rams down. I know Cooper Cup did Cooper Cup things. He ended up being, what, 13 of 128 for one. He's Cooper Cup. He was a Triple Crown winner last year. He's going to get his, I mean, you can only contain him so much. Obviously, they didn't contain him pretty much at all. But at the same time, you shut every single other option down, and Stafford really had nowhere else to go. So, I mean, the fact that he had to force feed him 13 times for 128 yards and one, the fact that that's all he was able to get after being force fed 13 times is pretty impressive. But the Bills defense as a whole, I think it really goes to show what, a superstar can bring to a team. I mean, when Stefan Diggs came here, Allen ended up having one of his best years that season because he had a Diggs to throw to. And now the Bills' defense the defensive front especially, they were one of the better defenses in the league at getting to the quarterback, but they weren't able to ever really get sacks. Their quarterback pressures were usually pretty high, but their sack rate was very low. And now this year, you add Von Miller, you add a player that needs to be accounted for, and all of a sudden, everybody, every single player on that line, all of a sudden exploded. Phillips, in his resurgence in Buffalo in his first game, he looked like a man on a mission. He looked absolutely pumped up, insane had a sack and a half Rousseau with a sack Miller with two sacks Basham with a sack and that tip uh interception Epinesa with a sack and a half so all of these players even Oliver had an incredible game that entire defensive line just seems like it's completely elevated by just the presence of Von Miller and even Von Miller ending up with four solo tackles and two sacks himself to start off his own Bill's career was absolutely incredible but that defensive line seems absolutely terrifying.
0: And Phil, get ready for it. I'm giving you credit here because I think that is a big reason why Buffalo didn't go out and sign a veteran cornerback, even though they kind of knew Trey White wasn't going to be ready, even though the rest of us didn't, is you mentioned that maybe this defensive line is just going to be so good putting the pressure on the quarterback that they're not going to have to have the defensive backs hold up for three, four, five, six, seven seconds in the games. So this, this is all credit to you because you're the one that pointed that out. But the whole defensive line, like you said, pressures on the quarterback. Phillips had six. That's 26.1% of the snaps he was out there for. He was getting pressure on the quarterback. Miller, five, 20.8%. Epinesa, five, 18.5%. Jones, def- big guy in the middle who's supposed to be a run stopper. He had four pressures for 12.9% of the snaps. It's just unbelievable, but definitely Von Miller is what's changing. And this is no shot at Jerry Hughes. This is no shot at uh, Mario Addison. They were both very good players for this team. Jerry Hughes for the longest time. This is no shot at them whatsoever. But The ability to not just get pressure, but to actually capitalize and get that sack, like Von Miller has done and continues to do those two sacks in the game. He could have had more, but it was just Matthew Stafford got the ball away just in time. But the the element that Von Miller does, where you have to check him on the line everywhere he goes... He was making the offensive lineman on the other team look like they were high schoolers he was playing. It was just unbelievable the differences. Watching him play in some of the replays they were showing, that he was setting up moves for his next play. Like, he would go wide on the one, and then the the, the, the left rush. tackle thought, yeah, yeah, exactly. That that first sack that he had. They were like, okay, now watch as he just bull rushes this, this left tackle because he's not expecting. He's expecting Von Miller to go wide. Those are the kind of things that make you go from a great player to the superstar he is, is, okay, I'm going to sacrifice this one play to set myself up for the next play. It's just, the he's playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers, and having him be on this team, and I know a bunch of people were saying, why are you signing him to this long deal? He's old, he's 32, he's going to start slowing down. Phil, I didn't see any inkling that his speed and his tenacity to get to the, the quarterback has slowed down whatsoever, and Just just to add that up, Ed Oliver, please be healthy. I know they said that his ankle is hurting right now. He's healing. He's day-to-day right now. But please come back healthy because you're definitely going to want him
1: on the defensive line when you face Derrick Henry next week. The other big thing on the defense we were looking at for the most part, Milano and Edmonds did what Milano and Edmonds do. Same with Terran Johnson and same with Hyde and Poyer. So the other big thing we were looking at was the cornerbacks. How would they play? What was their snap counts? What were they looking like? and who was actually going to be kind of the starter next to Dane Jackson. Dane Jackson seems to have the CB1 position pretty locked up. I mean, I know they seem to be rotating for the most part who is where, but Jackson was going to be out there pretty much the whole time. So it was up to the rookies of Benford and Elam to see kind of who was going to take that CB2 spot. And honestly, it seemed like Benford had it pretty locked down. I know in the game, Elam ended up with three total tackles, same with Benford, but Elam ended up with three solo tackles. So technically his stats were a little bit better than Benford, but I think Benford played a lot more, looked a little bit more NFL ready than Elam did. Elam still had a pretty decent rookie, you know, opening game. He really didn't play bad per se, but I think Benford just looked a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more veteran-esque for a rookie compared to Elam. I think he has A slight edge. But to see those two even just rotating, I think it's good for both of them to be out there. And just an incredible job by the scouting staff of the Buffalo Bills to get Benford in the sixth round, have him come in in his first game against the former Super Bowl champs as a rookie and just play like he did. And even for Elam to do as well as he did. But Elam's a first round player. You're kind of expecting him to go out there and do what he did. But Benford to be from the sixth round and play as well as he did, I thought was really impressive.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, this is all without Trey White. Imagine adding him to this defense come end of October, early November, late November. Whenever he comes back, you're adding a pro bowl, all pro cornerback back to this team. And you're going to be able to take Dane Jackson, who's playing as the CB1, slide him over to be the CB2. And then Benford and uh, Elam are going to be your, you know, CB3 and CB4. It's going to be disgusting what this defense is going to be able to do they gave up 3.7 yards per play compared to the 7.1 buffalo was getting three interceptions seven sacks 2.9 rushes or yards per rush they had four four yards per pass this defense was just on lockdown against the team that literally just won the super bowl the only player of note for this the los angeles rams right now is Cooper Cup, and there's no stopping Cooper Cup whatsoever. He's just a man on a mission. He's a, he's an unbelievable player. What he is was able to accomplish last year, he's carried into this year with 13 for 128 and one touchdown, which, you know, with one touchdown, we can go back and forth if they should have thrown the flag for, you know, delay of game because it was double zero for the longest time. That's what doesn't make any sense. I just want to touch <laughs> on this really quick. It doesn't make any sense. I saw the, the, the comparison. Imagine if this was in basketball, where they were watching the shot clock, the shot clock hit zero, but then they looked over and the ball was just leaving the guy's hand. If that counted and they didn't go to replay, why, why is it that the ref has to look at the clock, then he has to look at the quarterback, and if the quarterback had snapped it at that point, then he's good. Why isn't there a buzzer? Like as soon as zero hits, why isn't there a buzzer? So the refs don't have to look at the, the double zeros. They can just focus on the quarterback. It doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. There could be ways to improve this, but it's just a dumb rule in the NFL. And it, again, it's, it's whatever, but this has been haunt. It, this has been bothering me for years and years and years, but I guess it just came to more light because it's national televised first game of the year and everything. And it ended up resulting in a touchdown later down the road. But why can't they just put in a buzzer when the, sh- the play clock gets down to zero and then you don't have to have a ref- ref looking at the clock and then the quarterback clock quarterback clock quarterback doesn't make any sense
1: yeah we have the technology as they uh they love to say we have plenty of ways that you could alert the ref without him having to look at the clock at you know just how where the clock is at i mean you could have a some kind of like vibrator pack on their arm that when it hits zero it vibrates they feel it watch the ball okay didn't hike it that's double zero that's a delayed game it's just even, that, even like you said, like a little buzzer. I mean, they they all have headsets in. They all have earphones in that to That they listen. never use. That they never use. Right. So, I mean, just put a little beep. I mean, I know every single play. Sure, that would be annoying. So that's why even the vibrating thing just, you know, put something on their arm. It vibrates. They know it's at double zero. They watch the ball. It's just it, we're in modern, modern times here. We're in modern technology. We have the ability to just be better. And I think last year it was blown up a lot because it was awful. A lot of games where they're just sitting at zero and you're staring at it and nobody's hiked the ball. And all of a sudden, finally they hike the ball and there's no call. And even in this game, I think one of the things that like the reason we're bringing it up is the announcers brought it up. They were like, Hey, let's let's explain this, you know, delay a game. And then they kind of explained exactly what you said, where they have to look at the clock, see it hit double zero. Then they have to quickly look at the ball. And if the ball wasn't snapped, then it's a delay game. But if the quarterbacks calling for it or it is snap then it doesn't count and the one example they gave when you look at double zeros you look at the ball it was not snapped yet even though it was extremely close but it's still the point is it wasn't snapped yet and they did not call a delay game like you said it ended up being worse later in the game as well so something the nfl just needs to look at is for as as big of a league it is and the technology we have for pretty much everything in life there, there's got to be a better way to handle a delay game So I just got a couple more stats and then we can close this one out. Fourth team, all time,
0: all time, Phil, the history of the NFL to have seven sacks, three interceptions while allowing 250 yards or less of total yards in the first week of the season. This is the first time it's happened since 1988 incredible that just proves how incredible this defensive performance was i mean the offense put on a show but the defense put on even what i would call even a bigger show and then even the special teams the the kickoff coverage that we were worried about going in where i was going like okay i'm hoping that it was just because the backups the starters weren't there i want to see what the kickoff looks like did they have any returns that went out past the 25 i know they didn't have a ton of returns but tyler bass kicking it right down to the zero Brandon Powell, for some reason, always returned it. The one I think they stuffed him in, with, like, the 10. The, the special teams just came out to play as well. Crowder looks good in the return game. It was awesome. But they finished 9 of 10 on third downs, and three of those went for touchdowns. This team is on a mission this year, and it's going to be a big telltale test. That, say that three times fast. Telltale uh, test. Uh, there you go. There, you did it once. But, uh <laughs> But next week, it's a different opponent that, you know, Matthew Stafford is targeting Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson for two times. And then Tyler Higby, they have more threats on the offensive end in the wide receivers room, and they have a better quarterback. Next week on Monday Night Football is Derrick Henry. Can this team transition from being more of a... A team that rushes the quarterback and plays defense on the on the wide receivers to, how will they able to stop the run? that is going to be the big telltale test for I did it again for the <laughs> the defense moving forward against Derrick Henry next week, but we can hit on that next time.
1: I think it's a a very great early challenge for both of these games. I mean, the Tennessee Titans are yep. a team that have always given the Thorn. Bills headaches recently. what? Thorn in their side. Oh, absolutely. And I think between these two teams, you have the former Super Bowl champs who are a big passing team, had pretty similar stats as far as throwing and defense goes, matched up pretty well with the Bills. So you got that out of the way and made them look silly. Now you go and you play Tennessee, who is just like you said, been a thorn in the Bills side. They've been a team that has had the Bills number for some reason. You go up against a very, very good rusher. And it'll be a great test for the defensive line to see how they handle that rush. And overall, it'll be a great test for the Bills to see if they can finally put Tennessee to bed and move on from, I would say, one of their final curses that they have currently in the NFL. So Phil, as everybody
0: knows, our BSC season two has kicked off and you have taken an early lead. You are up 55.9 to 48.91, and you're doing this all without Josh Allen this year and I would like to thank James Cook for that. I would like to thank Jean, uh, Sean McDermott for that. And, uh, you know, just thank you all around because not only did he not put up any points, he gave
1: me a negative points. So, yeah, that hurt. Is there a possibility that you also have him in a certain fantasy league and he's currently the only I player you've played? <laughs> I, I have him not only in a fantasy league.
0: But a fantasy league where the lowest scoring team gets their head chopped off, and he put up minus 1.8, and yeah, uh, my projection plummeted <laughs> to, uh, I think, the second worst of the... I, I know we still got a lot of games to play. There's still plenty a lot of things t- to go. I still itself. have I still have Herbert. I still have, um, uh, who's my... Mixon, Jamison Williams, Javante G- Williams, I'm sorry, so... I still have a ton of good players to go. Marquise Brown, you know, Bateman, if you want to do anything, knock, knock, uh, please, please. I don't want to go out first again. I did this in year (laughs) one and I, I'd, I'd rather keep my ascension and moving forward. But yeah, that, that definitely hurt. James Cook definitely hurt there and here, but Phil, yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, you know, we uh we don't even have to get you ready for the game on our next episode because uh, it's a Monday night game, so uh, it's gonna be a fun fun time. Uh, and we're gonna be enjoying our football on Sunday, not having to you know worry about will the Bills win, will the Bills lose. We already got one and zero out of the way. Our team is one and zero, and your team is if you're a Rams fan is zero and one. The rest of yours are zero and zero right now. So uh, have fun sweating it out on Wednesday or on Sunday, but I'll be doing that because of fantasy. So, so we I'm, have I'm fantasy football Sunday. We will have fantasy football Sunday and Monday, and it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun weekend <laughs> with uh, stress free of Bills at least. But uh, yeah, like I said, we'll uh, we'll talk more Bills football on our next show. But we'll move on to the Bisons here Tuesday rained out first rain out in a while Phil it's a doubleheader on Friday we'll be able to cover game one but Wednesday they won ten to seven five run fourth followed by a one run in the fifth and two in the sixth Gwinnett made a late push scoring six in the final four innings but Buffalo did just enough to pull ahead and take the victory Horwitz went two for five with an RBI Capra two for four with a two run homer and added another RBI Lantigua two for four Sutsugo two for three with a solo shot and added another RBI large hit a grand Slam in the fourth inning to do, you know, 40% of the damage. It's easy when it's 10 runs, Phil. It makes my math so much easier. But Thursday, 6-2 to victory. Lawrence bounced back, going five innings pitch of just one run ball. Pearson is back on a rehab assignment. Haven't seen him much at all this year, but it was nice, and he will be a nice addition to the Blue Jays down the stretch. Hatch in a rare relief appearance. I don't know what that means moving forward. If they're just putting him in the bullpen, just having one starter moving forward, I don't know. We'll see what that means the rest Rest of September. Solo home run by Berman in the fifth to tie it followed by a five run sixth inning to take the victory. Capra one for two with an RBI. Lantigua two for four with an RBI and a stolen base and let me know if this name also sounds familiar. Satsugo with a solo shot two other RBIs. This is back-to-back days for homers for him and then Friday game one because we were recording just as that one ended. They won three to one Lucas RBI single after a 10 pitch at bat in the first inning. Tally two run shot in the fourth. Four pitchers combined for a two-hitter against the Stripers. They are 3-0 and to start this series.
1: And that is the absolute biggest thing you can say about this series. Starting 3-0 and is humongous for the Bisons. They've been playing rough baseball recently. The last couple of series have just not gone their way overall, and they've been slipping down these standings a little bit. Still in it by, by a lot. I mean, they're still definitely very close, but a lot of teams log-jammed right in front of them, and they just did not have any real strings of victories in the last couple of series. So winning three and going three and O to start the series is massive for this team. I think it's just everything they could have possibly hoped for. And as far as fans go, when you and I go, I mean, we got a little bit of everything in these games. You got a high scoring win. You got a, what I would say, complete win where you go, you know, just a, a little bit of offense and some solid defense six two, I think it would be your, ideal baseball score in in a perfect world. And then you got the close pitching duel 3-1 victory where the offense did just enough to help out the pitcher. So overall you definitely have some heroes in these games. Capra and Tsutsugo just absolutely killing it and Lantigua. I mean all all three of them for every single one of these games for the most part were a huge part of these wins. Largest Grand Slam obviously was massive and Horwitz and Capra also having pretty solid games as well. But overall Great, great job getting the 3-0 start to the series. And I think that is just the most important part of this. I don't care how you win at this point. You need wins. You need to string them together and getting three. This has been a long time coming that they have not had three straight wins in quite a bit.
0: Yeah, and this is huge to get the wins when they did. They're on a three-game winning streak. And Durham, who was in first, is on a two-game losing streak. So they took that lead from six. I believe it was six. or No, I'm sorry. It was seven. Seven Seven-game behind they're down to four and a half right now and again they're playing game two right now as we're recording so we'll be able to hit on that one on our next show but getting these wins and having Durham get help you by losing two games you're slowly inching forward but I mean Worcester's five behind Buffalo's four and a half Lehigh Valley's four Jacksonville's four Scranton is two and a half behind and Durham is leading the way so you have a ton of teams that are still bunched up together you need to string these victories together but I think the biggest note that I can give of this one, Sutsugo, signing him to the deal that the Blue Jays did, a minor league deal here, the benefit and the the contributions he was able to add to this team, especially now that Lopez is called out, that Marino's called up, you're gonna need him to continue this this hitting streak and this hitting, you know, extravaganza that he's been putting out there right now because you lost Marino who's been your number three hitter. You lost Lopez who's been your uh, top, uh, top of the order hitter too. So I don't know how long they're going to be up in the blue Jays. Their rosters expanded up in the major leagues. So they might not be coming back. They just lost, uh, Hernandez up in the bigs to attend day IL and that's why Lopez got called up so maybe at least 10 games up there so you need guys like Capra to step up you need guys like Susuko, Lantigua, Horowitz even even guy like Lucas who came up big with the first RBI in game one of the doubleheader here. you need these guys to step up and I think what's also nice is you're seeing more home runs out of this team. And it's not something that they've seen all year. You've seen stolen bases come back more recently because those kind of went to sleep as well. The hitters are coming alive and the pitchers are doing just enough to keep them in the games until those hits come alive. But Phil, with that, we'll move on to our BSC update. It was a huge, huge scoring week. And uh, I only expanded my lead by one. So there's that. But I am up twenty-eight sixty five point nine to twenty-six sixty-seven point six eight. I uh I am just just underneath that two hundred point lead that I want back. But you scored fifty-three points in three games, but I scored fifty-four. So take
1: that. <laughs> Yeah, pretty incredible. I think I mean we'd have to go back. I think this is new records for both of us, I believe.
0: Oh, by far. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, I think we had a forties in there or at least thirties. We had some some pretty high scoring ones that we we'll just... put it like
0: this real quick. Uh game one twenty nine with the call ups and everything, you put up thirty three and a half points. I put up forty one. <laughs> yeah, first. <laughs> and I first I know that was a game Tuesday score. game. There was yeah. Yeah, there was there was call-ups and send downs between the Sunday game and the Tuesday game, and I just combined them into that game. But yeah, we broke records. We broke <laughs> yeah,
1: records. Broke broke our own records that we are also setting ourselves. It's it's you know, it's we an are, incredible yes. time. It's an incredible time.
0: But is there any changes you want to make to your BSC team now that you have uh three guys up in the
1: majors? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to do something in order to uh keep pace. Merryweather, I do not expect to come back. He was on a rehab assignment for a reason so i'm going to take nate pearson who is also on a rehab assignment
0: that is a good addition i like
1: thank you thank you i i did want to add some bats to this team but i don't know when my bats will be back marino and lopez may be sent down in a minute but i think getting a rehab pitcher who i know at some point is gonna give me 15 points i will take it
0: yeah and you've had lopez this entire time he is leading all scorers right now with 178.5 points, and I know he's had some call-ups and send-downs and call-ups and send-downs, so that factors into it, but a lot of points have come in the second half of the season after we called him out on the show, so you're welcome, Otto Lopez, for not only improving your second half of the season, but getting another call-up to the majors to prove your point, because uh, the BSC does that for players that we care about, and uh, you're welcome.
1: And I learned. I learned from my uh was a Skinner that I dumped way too yeah, early. You did. I learned, uh, you know, give Lopez time. His whole first half, he was rough. And uh holding on to him it was tough, you know, it was a tough time holding on to him during his slump, but uh he has paid off quite a bit. I mean, we're still losing by just under two hundred and uh teams not looking like we're gonna win this season, but we're 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 fighting hard at the end here.
0: Yeah, I mean, that Skinner is coming back to haunt you because right now you're outscoring me in Buffalo Bison's BSC baseball by 103.5. And, uh, yeah, that the, <laughs> the Buffalo Sabres is what did it for you because I'm pulling up the score right now. And uh, let's scroll all the way down to the bottom here. Still scrolling through game 81, 82, 82. I outscored you 647.5 to 415.5. So the Buffalo Sabres is what did you in and Jeff Skinner and is 111.5 points is uh, the big cause of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much a 200 point swing. I mean, I don't remember exactly when I ditched him, but I mean, we'll assume you got at least a hundred of them and uh, I lost a hundred. So that's 200 point swing and it'd be much closer, much closer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But on our next show, we will go over the final three games of the series versus Gwinnett I mean they're playing right now in game two and we're recording right in the middle of it so we couldn't get that one but you know it's it's fun covering three games on the next show we'll get you ready for the series against Rochester I believe they're facing next and uh you know they're winding down four more series like I mentioned in the last show it's winding down the dog days of fall Phil even though it's still <laughs> summer but it's dog days of fall for Buffalo Bisons baseball it's uh they got a playoff race to fight for here and defending their title it's uh it's a, it's a fun stretch, and hopefully, they stay in it and make it interesting because that makes talking about them a lot more fun.
1: It does, especially with that three game win streak. Yes, it does. Let's
0: continue that and maybe go for maybe get the brooms out, Phil. We haven't had a broom <laughs> appearance all year, so maybe no, we all, but we'll move on to the Buffalo Bandits now. We do have a signing because they always do it on the, uh, the days we put out the episode Jordan Storos friend of the show. I interviewed him last season. He was actually our first player interview, so thank you, Jordan. But he signs a one-year deal. He was under team control, so he wasn't going to go anywhere, but he did need to re-up. He appeared in 10 games last year, totaling 24 loose balls. I relate him to kind of like a Justin Martin who's not going to put up a ton of points, but he's going to be that lockdown defender. He's a former second-round pick, 23rd overall in 2020. Love to see him get back on this defensive core that is looking for guys to step up on it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, he was under team control, so likely he was going to be back, but still great to see him get that one year deal. Pretty young player. And like you said, he was our our first interview, friend of the show. We do like him quite a bit. And overall, I think he's just going to continue to grow. He was very young last year, didn't get a ton of chances, only 10 games. And I just think he's got a lot of room to continue to get better. And I think we're going to see a lot of a better player this year.
0: So, Phil. I am a big fan of what the Las Vegas Devil or Desert Dogs are doing out in the desert. Uh, the, the team that Sean Williams has been putting able, being able to put together, the players that he took in the expansion draft, and then cu- like adding players to his team that are veterans, so you don't have to rush the rookies and the young players along. I mean, earlier in the year, you know, he made a huge deal to grab Rob Hellier from they are from toronto hellier wanted to move back out west closer to his family blah 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 he got hellier then he swings a deal to bring rob reed reinhold out to vegas from toronto so you're hurting toronto love to see it as a buffalo (laughs) bandits fan and a guy who covers bandits it's awesome to see but you're bringing another guy out west to pair with hellier to lead that offense but he wasn't done yet he brings out jacob roost from albany out there again so he's he's pairing the the forwards out there i don't know how good las vegas is going to do i have no idea what pieces they're going to be able to put together if they're going to have like a panther city uh kind of season where they pull it out late and once the team gels together they start turning it on but fall just short i don't know if they're going to be rocking it and i don't know if they're going to suck but the strategy he's been putting out there is building the young core through the expansion draft and through the nll draft that's happening today and then add some veteran leadership into this one so they can you know put the next wave of young guys and have somebody to show experience but the biggest thing out of this Albany, Phil. Albany, who lost Ryan Banesh, and they lost uh, Reseteris in free agency. They have now traded scores three, four, and five on the team. Their top five scorers from Albany last year are gone. Gone. They're just not on the team anymore. Albany is going to be at the bottom of the division and the bottom of the conference this year, guaranteed. They are going full rebuild mode, so at least that's one less team Buffalo has to climb over in the standings to get back to the finals.
1: Honestly, I don't. I, I get it's frustrating for fans, and honestly, as a fan of the NLL, it's a little frustrating to see because that's not how you win fans over, and it's not going to get you know fans in the seats per se. But I I don't hate what Albany Albany is doing simply Agreed. because they lost their top two scorers very early on in this free agency period. And once you lose those two, you might as well throw it in and rebuild. I mean, I'm not saying the bandits would ever do something like that, but if you take the bandits and you lose Dane Smith and you lose Josh Byrne, you're likely looking at a rebuild. I don't think they would go full on, you know, abandon all hope and get rid of all their players. But I understand what Albany is kind of doing. They weren't a playoff team last year with their top two scorers. Now you lose both of them. And at that point, you're kind of just looking at your roster saying, okay, can we actually compete? Can we be a playoff team without these two guys? And I imagine they had some tough conversations, but eventually it came to the conclusion that just not really, we're not going to be able to compete with Toronto, with Halifax, with the bandits, with this roster that we've currently have. So at that point, just sell off everything you possibly can get a ton of draft picks and just kind of build it back out from the ground up and hopefully, In the next couple of years, they kind of pull a riptide like we are seeing out of them. We expect a pretty good riptide team coming in this year. Maybe not to the Bandits level, but I think they're going to be a very good young team. I think Albany is trying to follow that path as well.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, Rather than be that middle-of-the-road team that's not competing for the playoffs and not at the bottom of the the, the bottom of the league, so you're not getting a high, high, high draft pick. I think this is the way to go. You're not going to win it with Q. You're not going to win it with with uh, Roost. You're not going to win it with the players that are currently there because I think their goal was to either re-sign Banesh and Resitaris, or this was going to be the next plan. This was going to be Plan B if they don't get their top two guys, and they didn't. And I think this was the result. So it's uh, I, I also agree with you. I think this is the right decision. It does stink for the fans, and you know we can understand as buffalo Sabres fans out here in buffalo completely understand the frustration and remember when uh darcy regir said there's going to be years of suffering and frustration (laughs) and i understand and that was what 11 12 15 years ago and we're still in there but we see the light on the horizon so albany maybe you will as well and i think new york was a good comparison but phil the draft is today two o'clock i hope everybody's listening to this prior to the draft coming out because round one is going to be streaming on ESPN Plus and TSN. But Phil, the only position we have not gone over right now is the goalies. And again, shout out to Lacrosse Flash. They've done an incredible job in the lead up to this draft, in their coverage, getting players out there, getting their names out there, you know what the players are made of, all that kind of stuff. So we, at least on this small podcast and everybody else, so the fans of the NLL, have the opportunity to go in there with some knowledge First-hand knowledge, I guess, uh, not even first-hand knowledge, but knowledge going in and knowing a bit more about these guys. So when you're seeing a name, you're not just going, "Huh, okay, that's a forward Let's do our own research on. It. You know, a bit more about these players going in, and I think this is something that the league has to take a step forward with next year on putting out more coverage of these players. Like, hey. This is the list of all the players that are drafted, draft eligible. And this is a little bit of their background and stuff like that. We're not having to rely on another outside source to do it. If the NLL does it, I think that's good. It would be a nice step in the right direction for their future and being more transparent with the fans.
1: Exactly. You'd hope that the NLL has experts on their, uh, their payroll so they can get a, not necessarily, you know, like, a. uh, I'm trying to think of like a draft, a draft preview per se, but they can get a similar to the NFL top 100. Take all of the prospects that are going into the draft, they're draft eligible and just rank them, you know, one to 100. And like you said, give a little blurb about the top guys. And then maybe as it gets to the bottom, give something small because a lot of the information for some of these guys isn't really out there as much as you would like it to be with some of these other things such as the NFL. Obviously, college football is massive, so they have all that information. NLL and lacrosse is a little bit smaller, so they don't have quite all the information on a lot of these prospects as you would like, but at least the top guys and maybe even just a a top 50 list of prospects, and like you said, a little breakdown about each one, you know what they do well, where they might fit, or at least at the very basics, where they played most recently and the stats of where they played most recently, and then leave it to the other insiders around the internet to kind of pick apart and go from there, but at least give a very basic overview of what the draft might look like and just a kind of ranking so you know going in. I mean, even in the NHL, you know, we talk about how in the NHL draft there's a lot of players that we have no idea what they're going to become. We have a lot of players that you've never heard of. You have no idea what they're going to be. They're all like 10 years old out there, but you still have the usual, you know, you have the Owen Power who's looking like he's going to go number one overall. You have the top 10 guys that look like, you know, these guys are for sure top 10. The NLL should do something similar so you have an idea of who's going to be there. Is a Jeff Teat, you know, going to be their number one overall? Is a just a franchise-altering player going to be their number one overall? And just who is available? I think the NLL, like you said, could do a better job of just getting some of that information out. And overall, uh, the first step for this at all is getting round one streaming on ESPN plus. So I do think that is a huge first step. And I think from there, maybe the draft idea and just the information around the draft will continue to grow.
0: Agreed. And I mean, this is only what day 10 of uh, the new commissioners (laughs) know on, on the job. So we'll see what changes he brings on. But like we said, the only position we have not covered so far is goalies. And again, thanks to lacrosse flash Go give them a follow. Make sure you read their contact because it's it's incredible what they're able to produce right now. But goalies, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six goalies they mentioned in their articles. I picked out one in particular. I know you picked out another one in particular. We both have the same name until I, I claimed it first, but it's uh, it, it goes back to last year. I guess I'll give you my first one, Phil. I Kyle see that. I see Hebert. That. <laughs> Kyle Hebert. Uh, if his name sounds familiar, that's because he is a former Buffalo bandits draft pick last year that was ruled ineligible. So once again, it just, I, I hit on it last year. I, I won't dig too far into it, but because the, the league is taking steps in the right direction, I don't have to dig on them right now. Cause it's a fun day. Cause the NLL draft, the future of the NLL is, is coming up through the ranks right now with the draft, but it's just, again, you should have a master list that all these teams know exactly the rules, the, 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 Management should know all the rules and stuff. Like, So you shouldn't be having this. The NFL doesn't have it. MLB, if you want to Destin to move to that, you know, hierarchy of sports, that shouldn't be anything. But he's Oakville, Buzz, OJ, LLL, LL, and Stony Brook. He is in his final year of junior A. He went seven and two with a 6.4 goals against and an 861 save percentage. Phil, that is insane. Matt Vince had the best year of his career. He wasn't close to it. He was like 804, I think it was 805, something like that. That just proves how insane he was. Now he is athletic. He tracks the ball well, but the one knock on him, and I think that's why he fell to I think a fourth round draft pick last year, is he's small. He's 5'1, 165. Now yes, he still can grow into his body. He still is going to get bigger. 165. He's not going to be 165 when he's playing here. But I think. This could be a draft pick that the Buffalo Bandits go back to. They might have to, you know, take him in the third or the second round this year because he has played insane in junior this last year. But I think just based on the track record and the the pick they made of him last year, I think this is a this is a pick that if I'm hedging my bet
1: on if they're taking a goalie, he's the goalie I think they're gonna snag. I do like it. I do like it quite a bit. I have two and to okay. me the first one Is a little bit more out there. It's not something I'm 100% sure the Bandits would go with. But to me, when thinking about the Buffalo Bandits and thinking about next year, you and I think that they definitely need a transition player. There's definitely a few spots at forward and defense. We would love to get them some youth. But overall, if you just think of the Bandits as a team, they really don't have a lot of holes. Their team is, you know, was a championship team. They're bringing some of those guys, most of that team back and including some younger guys as well and a few other players that they grabbed in free agency. So overall, from what I've seen in free agency and what happened in the offseason, the Bands have done nothing but at least get a little bit better than they were last year. So to me, going into this draft with three first-round picks, I could see them honestly using all of them. If they get the right trade option, then I think they would take whatever they can possibly get to really add a quality player that is ready to win right now for this team. But at the same time, I think they will use a lot of these guys and just get some of these more developmental players. But overall, as far as a goalie, I you and I talked about it a little bit when we weren't 100% sure Vince was coming back that we can't imagine this team without Matt Vince and what his ability to do is and what he means to this team. Like If you don't have Matt Vince, there's no one else in the NLL that's coming in here and going to play to that level and play the same. So to me, I think... Honestly, goalie should be a high priority for the Bandits. We do not know what Matt Vince is up to. He's He signed the one-year contract, so we know he's coming back for this year. But past this year, I think everything's kind of cloudy as far as his future goes. We don't really know if he's on year to year deals. I would assume he is until he's just ready to hang it up and call it quits. I think the Bandits would have him back every single year unless he really takes a nosedive, but I don't think either of us see that happening. But to me, I think goalie should be at the top of their list because it is such an important position for the team. And when Vince is ready to retire, you need someone to step up immediately and take that position. And for me, I think they should just simply go after the number one goalie prospect. He is one of the better goalie prospects we have seen, according to this article, since Christian Del Bianco was taken 15th overall in 2015. So we're looking at seven years. He is arguably the best goalie prospect that we've seen. And I think for me, that is something that the Bandits should be looking for. That is Brett Dobson of the Whitby Warriors, OJLL, also St. Bonaventure, and more importantly, the PLL Archers. So he has played professional lacrosse. He understands what a professional shot looks like. He, I mean, we have seen in the PLL, you have Dane Smith, you have Josh Byrne, you have Chase Frazier, you have all these Bandits that are incredible offensive talents, and they're playing in the PLL, and this is a goalie for the PLL. His strengths are most notably his athleticism, footwork, ball-moving skills, tracking, and competitiveness. I think, to me, he is the number one goalie prospect, and again, with a comparison to Del Bianco and one of the greatest touted goalie prospects in a very long time, to me, I think it is worth the Bandits taking a chance on a player like this or just really looking into their first First round pick. And if he is there, seriously considering it, because once you lose Vince, you need someone to come in and step in and be that next goalie. And I think if you can get a player that seems pretty NLL ready to learn behind Vince while Vince is playing his last, you know, one, two, three, four years, however many it is, and you have this player just learning behind the goalie of the year, the greatest goalie to ever play, it's just going to make that player that much better.
0: I do love him. I I think that would be a, a huge addition. Like you said, he's he's the top ranked goalie since Del Bianco came into the league and he went fifteenth overall. So I I can see it. My only hesitation is Devlin Shanahan. What he has been able to do in his winter or summer league right now is just amazing. He has been able to lead his team into the playoffs and done amazing there. So I'm just I'm wondering what the organization's thoughts are on Shanahan and if they believe that he can be that young goalie. He's only, what, 21 years old, moving up 22 maybe. So he's he's been in the organization for a few years. He's never had to back up. I, I think he had to back up maybe one game or two games before Bucking came back. But I, I think he's never been tested. He's never played in an NL, NLL game. He's never played a second of NLL action. But I'm wondering what their thoughts on Shanahan are and if they're if they're very high on him I can see them waiting until like the second third fourth fifth sixth round to draft a a, a goalie and if they actually already think that their future goalie once Matt Vince retires which hopefully isn't for another five six seven eight years (laughs) down the road is maybe it's Shanahan. Uh, that is my only hesitation. I love Dobson. Uh, everything I'm reading up on him, he sounds like an incredible goalie. If anywhere you compared to Christian Del Bianco is, is great, my only hesitation is that, that what the organization's thoughts are on Shanahan.
1: Absolutely. And like you said, yeah, it, it really comes down to do they think they already have their future goalie yes. or do they think they need a future goalie? And we don't know. Honestly, we don't know because, like you said, he's never really played any NLL action. We really don't know how the Bandits feel about Shanahan. Obviously, he keeps getting these one-year contracts, so they like him enough to keep him around. And he is still very young. But overall, we just don't know exactly what kind of future they see in him. Do they think that he is the next Matt Vince or do they think that they're going to need an upgrade in, in the future. And he will always just kind of be a backup in their mind. That is a, a huge question mark. The other goalie I had is a little bit lower. Someone you can probably get in a later round. And that is Keegan Melenchuk. If I'm uh, saying that correctly, he played for new Westminster salmon bellies. What a, what a team, what a team, the good old future salmon bellies idea, and the Edmonton miners. So, I mean, he's coming from two great, great names. I mean, great, great. I mean, if you just want to draft him based on the teams he's been on, I, I'm, I mean, I'm already there for that. But overall, the big thing with him that is very different from Vince, but something that we saw, sadly, on the other side of the floor is his size. He is a... Big goalie. It's something that the bandits he's don't really wall. have. Vince, yes, he he is he's the wall, but a movable wall. So yeah, <laughs> he, um, he is a prototypical goalie who plays a lot of the angles and similar to again a certain goalie who played the Buffalo Bands in the championship, Dylan Ward. Very big guy. Very hard to get anything past him because he's just so calm and just a big, big dude. And Keegan is the same way. Uses his size and footwork to plug the net and really force shooters to beat him with accuracy more than power. But he is also very athletic for his size. He has good mobility on cross crease saves and swing chances. And <clears throat> in the finals for his his team in the Whippy finals, he was able to frustrate their shooters and they have a really good team as well for offense. So I think that is something that needs to be looked at as just a kind of different outlook. Like you said, you went with a little bit smaller goalie. Vince is a little bit smaller goalie. This would be something that the Bandits really haven't had a lot of since Cosmo. Cosmo was a very big goalie, and I think it'd be interesting to see them take a shot on a bigger goalie a little bit later in the rounds as well, and he would be my later round goalie pick.
0: Yeah, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Once you get down to the later rounds like that, it's kind of just... Grabbing who you think is great, and the one biggest thing you can always say is you can't teach size, and he's got the size, he's athletic for his size, so I I don't mind it whatsoever. Like I said, it's it's all going to come down to how they value Shanahan, and if they don't value him and they don't see a huge future for him in the NLL to take over down the road, Will they invest a higher draft pick to get in somebody behind Matt Vince? Because who knows? Maybe maybe the organization knows the timeline for Matt Vince. Maybe Matt Vince has come out and said, hey, this is my last year. Maybe he said, hey, we're just going to take it year by year. Maybe they said, hey, it's just one-year deal, but I'm, I'm good to go as long as I'm healthy the following year and so on and so forth. So we have no idea what the timeline is for Matt Vince. Maybe the organization knows. Maybe only Matt Vince knows. Maybe Matt Vince doesn't even know. So to maybe get a guy in the pipeline, which we've been saying is – is that Shanahan, if it's not Shanahan, will they invest a higher draft pick in like a Dodson, a Dobson? Will they invest a a lower draft pick in Hebert? It's, it's, it's all comes down to, and I think if they do draft a high goalie, it, say they draft he, uh, Dobson with the 13th overall pick, I'm not saying that's any indication that Matt Vince is going to be retiring next year. Maybe that's just them saying, hey, we need to protect our future. We have a, a, a team on the floor that can win championship after championship after championship We're locking the guys down for longer times. We can't have a gap year where we're struggling because we have nobody in net. Maybe they're thinking, let's get a guy in that develops behind Matt. Who is a better goalie to learn from than Matt Vince? Exactly. If you can get a guy in there where Matt Vince is still playing, I think that is valuable. It's it's You can't even calculate how valuable that would be to a young goalie.
1: Exactly. I think that's one of the biggest things when you look at this team for a long time, their offense and their defense for the most part are going to be championship ready. You don't want to be wasting Dane Smith and Josh Burns prime years with a goalie change that isn't working. You don't want to bring a few goalies in or just simply not have a goalie after Matt Vince. You need a backup plan for when he is finally done. I think he is your goalie of the future for now, but when he's done, you need to have an immediate plan. So there's no lull. There's no two, three years where this team isn't very good simply because they don't have a top tier goalie and the offense can only do so much and the defense can only do so much. You need to make sure you have that contingency plan in place for Vince. And I think kind of what we were saying, we don't really know about Shanahan, but at the same time, like you mentioned with your pick, he was picked last year. So I think that is also an interesting kind of aspect to look at that Kyle Hebert was picked last year by the bandits and had even eligible would have been a goalie on this roster to possibly learn under Vince. Are they going to go for that again? But even still, what does that say about how they actually feel about Shanahan? Do they like him as a more NLL ready backup for right now for Vince? And you want to get one of these guys on your practice squad or to learn behind Vince, even a little bit farther down the line, but see, Shanahan, again, not as a future starter, but have one of these guys come in and be your future starter still learning under Vince. But Hebert was picked by the bands last season. And had he been able to be eligible, he would have been on the team. So I think that is also just an an interesting thing to kind of look at. So Phil, I know
0: we're short on time here. We're wrapping it up. But my only final question is because the draft is at two o'clock today. What is your best prediction what do you want from these three first round picks that the buffalo bands have are you thinking trade are you thinking what position are you thinking just whatever you're thinking for those three first round picks at least the three first
1: round picks because they have a few other ones past that i think to me i honestly think they will hold um i'm not sure they will be able to find a trade worthy enough of bringing someone in who's going to be an immediate impact to this team and be a big enough impact to lose some of these first round picks and i'm not saying that That doesn't exist, but I'm saying it it would cost a lot, and I just don't know who out there in the NLL. Again, it's not the easiest to trade. I know we've seen Vegas just wheel and deal over there, and Albany also just demolishing their entire team, but it's not always the easiest to trade, so I think it'd be tough to find a trade partner where you're bringing in someone who's truly going to make that difference and truly push this team into championship level when they are already pretty close to it, if not already there. So, To me, I think they will hold and take all three of their picks. I think they do need to build the pipeline a little bit. I'm not saying any of their team is really old, other than some of their defensive players, like a Brock, like a Priolo. But their offense is in its prime. But at the same time, you still want to have players in the pipeline. So for me, I think again, I I, it's definitely biased because I used to be a soccer goalie and I just I absolutely love goalies and I love those kind of positions. So to me. I'm very biased toward picking the number one overall goalie prospect, so I would love for them to do that, but realistically, I don't know if they will. I think they take at least one forward. I would love to see one forward, one defense, one transition out of those first three picks. I do think they hold and take all of three first-round picks, but I think you could see... I would say a righty forward, a bigger defender who's a little younger, again, maybe one of the ones we kind of previewed that might be able to take over for Priolo in the next couple of years, and then a transition player who is just a little bit more of a defender, but we need someone like a Matisse who is going to be able to play defense, hop into offense and be able to create those odd chances and get some of those transition goals as well.
0: So I have plan A and plan B. Plan A is... Buffalo Bandits have been very quiet. They've made some moves. They've retained some guys. They brought in some, you know, younger guys. No marquee names have been brought back to the team besides Matt Vance, Nick Weiss. You know, they haven't brought in a new guy to be like, wow, that was a me- move. So my thinking is, and I mean, Steve Dietrich always does it. There's always deals. He's always wheeling and dealing. I think there's going to be a deal. I have no inside knowledge. I have no idea if this is actually going to happen, but I can see a deal. Three first round picks on this team. I can see them packaging it and getting another guy to add to this team. Maybe a transition guy, like I've been saying. But plan B is because you still have Thomas Fasine to sign. You still have Colin Monroe to sign. You still have Brad McCulley in the system. You still have a few other guys that are young. Uh, Sam LaRue coming up through the system. You have so much youth already on this team. I can see them using these three first-round picks, if they use all three, for guys that still have eligibility that will be going back to college or back to their junior teams next year so you don't have to sign them to new deals. Kind of like what they did last year, what was Nanakoke really the only deal they brought in, a player that they brought in that they signed to a deal? The rest of them, they pretty much, hey, we don't have to sign you right now, you're on our draft list, you're going back to college, you're going back to school, it doesn't matter, we don't have to sign you. I can see that that being the role because... We've been saying it since last season and throughout the entire season, all these picks they have. There's not enough room on this team with the amount of talent they have. There's just not. Adding three more first round picks to this team to come in immediately, you're going to have to cut or trade away players that should be on NLL teams and you're just going to have to either give them away for free or discounted. So I can see... Plan A for me is make a trade, bring in a transition guy, bring in another forward, bring in a defenseman, somebody that can contribute right now, or option B is to use the three first round picks for guys that you don't have to sign right away that can go, that still have eligibility and can go back to college, can go back to their junior teams and stuff like that and keep developing there, but you don't have to sign right away and take up another roster spot with it. So those are option A and B for me, what I'm seeing with these three first round picks coming up.
1: Another thing that was mentioned, I might have been Teddy Jenner on Lacrosse Flash who mentioned it, but someone mentioned it for the bandits and one of the picks that they had them taking is that the bandits are also in a position to take some of these guys who have or uh, a little bit more of a project, kind of like what you're saying. Yes. might be going back to school or might just be a little bit more raw, someone who isn't necessarily going to be taken by another team because they're just not ready to perform at the NLL level, but someone who can sit on your practice squad, learn, and has a very, very high ceiling if they can end up making that jump. And I think the bands are in a position to take a chance and take a shot on some of those players that might not be ready to be on the team. Like you're saying, there's not a lot of spots on this active roster for any of these draft picks. So they might be able to take some of these more project players and with the higher ceiling than some of the safer ceiling guys who are going to be on the team, but might not be the extreme superstar that another player who isn't ready right now, but could reach a higher ceiling in the future might be. So I could also see some more developmental prospects as well.
0: So, Phil, we went a little bit longer than I think both of us were expecting coming into this, seeing the docket, but that usually happens. But I guess, is there anything else you want to add to this episode before we shut it down and get ready for not only the NLL draft, which is happening very shortly, but
1: Sunday football where we don't have to worry about anything but our fantasy teams? Like you said, we were we were very wired still from the, the Bills' victory. We had the Bisons with a 3-0 run and then some Bandits NLL draft that we've been waiting for for quite a while, so... A lot going on in this episode. A lot going on, and the Sabers. Sabers also snuck in. So good, good for the Sabers. They did. They did. They got some. They got some Tage Thompson comparisons from you.
0: <laughs> they did. I, I tried my best to sneak them in. But yeah. on our next show, we'll uh, we'll talk some more Buffalo Bills football action. Even though there's not a game coming up, we gotta wait until uh, you know the last last game in week two to see them again. We'll go over all the draft picks that the Buffalo Bandits have just been making if you're listening to this as they're drafting right now. We'll go over to wrap up the Buffalo Bison series versus Gwinnett and get you ready for the next series versus Rochester. But until then, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye